DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Thor Nystrom. He writes for NBC Sports Edge, covers the NFL draft, lead college football writer. Thor, good morning. How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing well. As you know, Zach Wilson's climb up the draft board has been met here in Utah by uh, smiles and high fives from the BYU faithful and snorts of derision from Ute fans and Utah State fans. The rivalries rage on here. And I'm curious because if he goes number two to the Jets, like everyone seems to think he is, you know, they'll win, they'll lose, people will judge him. But the Jets have been uh, more a mess than not for a long period of time. And I'm curious if that is a franchise a quarterback should want to go to. Obviously, they've been shaking things up now with the leadership. How much faith do you have in the Jets going forward? Uh, that's, yeah, that's a tough question historically to ask anyone. Um, probably not the most just because of you know where they've been and whatnot. And, and it, you know, as, as far as the, the decision with, with Wilson, fascinating, right? I mean, like, you had to pay a prohibitive cost to do that transition from from Sam Darnold to to Wilson, right? Like you got a second round pick and a couple of ancillary picks later on once, but now you're going to be, you know, I mean, they would have gotten an absolute boatload for that second pick if they'd gone the other way. So, it, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating decision for me. Uh, there's a little bit too much risk in Wilson's profile for me personally to have been willing to pay that price. But I certainly understand what you know where they're coming from. Uh, you don't see players with with that kind of an arm come into the league every year. You know, it's just it was lasers everywhere. You know, I mean, the the jump up he took, I I, I would understand wanting to uh, sort of stake the future of my franchise on that arm for sure. So it looks like the emphasis on quarterbacks has never been greater. And there's five guys. We talked about Wilson and Lawrence and Fields and Mac Jones and Trey Lance. So those five. At what pick in the first round do you think we will get to and have all those five guys be gone? That's a really interesting question. So, you know, Schefter reported uh, a couple weeks ago that there'd be four in the top seven. It seems like that's just about a lock right now. Um, I would say, you know, as, as the board is presently constituted, you would almost think that nine would, would be the floor for the fifth one, right? Like, because whether it's Atlanta or Detroit for the uh, fourth one or, you know, trade-up iteration, et cetera, um, and then you have Denver, you know, at the ninth slot if they have not moved up. So I, I would think that that would be where five would, would go off the board. Um, but even, you know, outside of that, if, there, if there's moves and stuff like that, worst-case scenario for any of those guys, I, I just don't see how they would even drop to the Patriots at 15, which is what you would usually think of as, as sort of the floor for these guys, that that would be the absolute, absolute nightmare for, for the fifth one. But um, right now, nine realistically might be the floor for the fifth one. So if you already have your quarterback and you're drafting in the top nine and you see some of the players who are there, you must be drooling, thinking, well, you don't need a quarterback. Let these guys fight over the quarterbacks. We got our guy. And to add Pitts to your receiver core or to add Sewell to your offensive line, it seems like these other teams that aren't drafting quarterbacks aren't getting talked about. But it seems like if they don't trip over themselves or if they don't get crushed by injuries because that can wreck anybody's career in the NFL, they're, they're going to they're gonna do great. They're really going to make out in this draft. Yeah, it's, it, it, that's a really good point. Um, you know, starting with Atlanta, for instance, you know, like a, a team that if they don't take a quarterback, you, you just have Kyle Pitts, right? Like, 
I mean, it's who I would take. Um, but outside of Pitts, who is, is a generational unicorn-type talent at his position, you have a couple other guys like that. Uh, for me, Penny Sewell is like that. He, he's the best offensive lineman that I've evaluated in the last five years. So I put him above, you know, the, I mean, like the, a priority player, right, in the, in, in the top ten. Jamar Chase is one of the best receivers we've had come out in the last couple of years as well. And so your, your point is very well taken where, yes, this is a very good quarterback class in, in the same way – and, and maybe even some inside the NFL would perceive it as a bit better than our last five quarterback first round. You know, the, the one with, with Mayfield and Allen and Rosen and, and Lamar Jackson, et cetera, and Darnold, I, I, I suppose. Um, this one is, is going to end up, in terms of draft equity, more investment in the five quarterbacks. Because I, like I just said, I don't think the last one is falling to, to the 30-second slot like Lamar Jackson did. And the manifestation of that is, these other three, four, five, you know, however many you want to put in that group of players at other positions that are not only the best players at their position this year, but if you put them into a bucket of the last three or four or five, where they would also be at the at the top of the class. And Sewell is one of the, for me, you know, and, and Pitts for sure, if you put it the last decade at a bucket, um, they're either going to come out at the top or, or near it. And so, again, your point's very well taken where th- this this rat race to get up the board to take all these quarterbacks, the, the natural offshoot of it is that it's going to push some of those guys maybe just a little bit lower uh, down the board. You know, whether they drop a slot or two lower or whether it's, you know, four or five slots lower, there's going to be very good deals to be had for some of those teams that are not looking for quarterbacks in the top 15. So we pretty much have Lawrence 1, Wilson 2. Uh, number 3 is the Niners, and obviously they've made some moves there. And we suspect a quarterback, but we don't know which one. Which one do you think they would take? Yeah, so right now, I, I think with the tea leaves, you you would just have to go chalk with Mac Jones. Even though, you know, for me, like, when, when that news came, came out that the Niners were trading up and that all the rumors started with Mac Jones, my, my initial reaction was, I will believe that the 49ers take Mac Jones when, when, when Roger Goodell states his name, you know, being right off of a card um, on, on that last Thursday night in, uh, of this month. But since then, you know, it, it wasn't just the initial smoke, which is sort of mysterious as is, you know, just that, uh, you know, basically the quarterback that everyone agreed was fifth was this guy that, that, that a team had traded three first-round picks and a third-round pick to move into the third slot to take as, as the third quarterback. Um, but then the the reports that we saw after that, it, it it has confirmed it even more because, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, for instance, Chris Sims, one of my colleagues, he, he is a friend of, of, of Kyle Shanahan and the Shanahan family, et cetera. He was one of the ones saying it like right away. Um, but then in the week after that, uh, in the weeks after that, um, Adam Schefter reported that the 49ers were going to take uh, Mac Jones. And then we saw um, – uh, Peter King recently said, uh, this is in a, his column on Monday, he said that decision hasn't been made, but he would assume that the, the, you know, that right now the, the pick is, is Mac Jones. And then in you know, mock drafts around the industry from the respected sort of industry indicator guys like Mel Kuyper, you know, you're starting to see him slotted in there. And then you know, the last piece of it is in terms of Vegas odds, Mac Jones before that trade occurred, wasn't even in the stratosphere for the you know the, the the top guys in terms of favor to go with the third pick. Um, it was up to minus like two twenty five for Mac Jones to be the third pick earlier this week. It's now like closing in on minus three fifty. 
so it's like it, it, he's certainly he's not in the odds range of like Trevor Lawrence is like minus you know fifty thousand to be the first pick and and Zach Wilson at this point is like minus ten thousand but he he's like certainly creeping up uh, that way in 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 terms of that so it, it's something that you know that's what I think is is, is going to happen barring a, a last second change we could get one though uh, the 49ers are going to be at Justin Field the second throwing session this week and next week they're going to Trey Lance's second throwing session and it, you know maybe who knows what well, we will end up seeing but it's like you know it's sort of like in the you know the bachelor show on ABC when like during fantasy suite week you have the last date with the bachelor and like that's like an important thing or whatever, the, the last impression. Trey Lance is going to get that. Um, and so I, I would almost think if it's not Mac Jones, it, the, the surprise or the audible would be to Trey Lance as opposed to Justin Fields. But this is all conjecture. There's only two guys that know what's going to happen there. And, and Shanahan and, and John Lynch aren't telling anybody. Thor Nystrom joining us, lead college football and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge. So let's flip it around for the quarterbacks and also for the guys like Pitts and Sewell who are top 10 picks. You want to go higher because your money gets better, but you also want to go to an organization that's got a chance of winning. Now, the Niners are up high because they're coming off a bad year, but they were just in a Super Bowl too, so the organization doesn't look so messed up. If you're a player, which teams do you want to go to and which organizations do you absolutely want to avoid? I would say, like, in this class, if I was a top 10 pick, you know, especially like, you know, we were just talking about like, you know, the teams that don't need a quarterback and then some of these unicorn prospects. If I was one of them, the team that I would want to go to is the Dolphins because of how well they have set themselves up, mostly because of Laramie Tunsil. And honestly, you go back to Laramie Tunsil's stepfather, put, putting out the, the pictures, you know, the, the morning of the draft or, you know, the, the night of his draft that pushed Tunsil down the board and to the Dolphins and then allowed them to accrue all of these picks first from the Texans, you know, in the, in the trade for him and then. Of course, in, in this trade, you know, the, the most recent one dropping from the third slot that had been the Texans, picking up the two future picks from the, the 49ers, they have the quarterback in two. I, I believe in him a little bit more than the, the fans do there. Let, let's get him some receivers and, and, and see how that pans out. Um, but it's not just him. Like, they've already started to fortify that, that roster in a very real way. Numerous positions. We saw how they, they improved this past season. Multiple first-round picks this year, multiple first-round picks next year, multiple first-round picks the year after that um and, and so that would be a team that that i would look at because not only that you have the rookie quarterback under the rookie deal as we know that is your window it you know it, it you know outside barring having tom brady you know that then that just becomes your window but outside of that like you know teams are looking to hit on these these rookie quarterbacks because then for five years you get them at this cap you know price that is severely depressed against what it otherwise would be if, if they were on the free market the, the, the difference in those two figures, that's a real tangible thing that, that improves your roster. It's just money you can delineate to other positions. I think they're in a really good position going forward, the Dolphins. Outside of Sewell, who else do you like in the Pac-12 will be your next prospect? Not necessarily the first round. I don't think there's going to be one. But is it somebody like Little from Stanford? You know, little little concerns me a little bit. Um, you know, just just in terms of the profile, having having really not played for a couple of seasons, but he's fascinating. You know, j- just as like in, in terms of like, uh, you know, sort of the biggest band between what he could become and what his floor is. There's almost not a bigger band in the class than, than Walker Little because he really could turn into a perennial All Pro. 
has all the tools, has the athleticism, um, you know, I mean, like, and he knows what he's doing. You know, the, the technical acumen is the reason that he was like, you know, one of the top recruits in Stanford history. Um, but, but just because the injuries and having not played the, uh, you know, and, and when he initially played there, you know, he was a young kid and there were some issues with, with power and speed, but there always is when, when you're, you know, a freshman playing in, you know, the power five or whatever. So he, he's a really fascinating one for me. Um, as far as the other, I'm trying to think, um, you know, j- just in terms of Pac-12 prospects, who else I'd like, I, I haven't stacked my board yet, um, but yeah. Uh, Jay, Jay Tufele of uh, USC, who's a local kid here, played his high school in Salt Lake. Yeah, yeah, an- an- another really interesting kid. And, and USC, you know, interestingly enough, like, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've sort of begged on Clay Helton, a lot of people have the, the, the past few years, but like, you start to look at now the guys coming into the draft, you know, which are actually classes that were manifested from Clay Helton, um, starting to get a lot better, right? Like in, in this class, it's not just him. It's the kid he plays next to inside there. Um, they have a linebacker in the class. They have a couple defensive backs. Um, and the offensive fire – well, and, of course, they have Amonra St. Browns in this class too. Tyler Vaughn's way later down. Probably won't get drafted. But then, you know, going forward – um, you know, Keaton Slovis and, and, and all the guys that they have on offense, like you're just going to see them start to, um, you know, USC sort of have a, a resurgence there. But yeah, as, as far as the USC kids, like on, on the interior, I like both of them, you know, I mean, like, and they, they both do different things. Um, it, you know, as far as Tufa, he, it was like, I think he tested like as a 65th percent uh, size adjusted athlete. Um, and I actually thought he was going to test a little bit better, to be honest with you, because he moves very well, you know, in short quarters. Like, he, he's a hard kid for, for offensive linemen to sort of square up, get, you know, get their hooks into. Um, he, he's a guy that could be very disruptive. He just needs to, you know, and you guys probably know, he just needs to play with a little bit more, you know, discipline, a little bit more under control, you know, mind his technique a little bit more as opposed to just, like, I, I'm coming to you guys from Minneapolis. We, we had a couple of defensive linemen that were sort of in this vein um, over over the years. Uh, John Randall being the, the very, very best version of it. But we also had a, a guy named Chris Hovan, who was just sort of a wild guy uh, on the inside. And the better he got at his technique, the more it played up sort of his quirky movements. You know, because it, it, it's not just the, the ability to sort of like, you know, have, I, I suppose, in draft parlance, twitch in, in short quarters. It's it's also that ability to uh, mentally and psychologically keep the, the offensive lineman off of your movements by being unpredictable as well. And Holman was really good at that. That's something I see in Tufo. Um, and so, like, you know, if, if, if he can keep working on that, like I said, I, I think it just would play up, um, you know, sort of how he plays in general. If there's just a little bit more technique, a little bit more discipline, I, I think he bounces up a little bit as a player. So, if you were drafting late in this draft, there's usually a game changer in the late first round who then, you know, does great. You got any favorites in there? Somebody who's going to slide late in the first round, which is still an excellent spot, but they go to a good team. They don't have the hype of the guys at the top of the draft, but they got better players around them and a chance to shine. You got somebody you're circling in that area of the draft that we should all watch? As, as you're explaining that, the name that, that jumps to the front of my mind is Rashad Bateman. He, you know, the, the Minnesota receiver actually from, you know, the, the city I'm coming to you guys from, but he, he has been, you know, sort of nitpicked uh, throughout, um, you know, starting like last season and then into this season, he was looked at as, you know, maybe not the best athlete, 
Um, and then last season he had to play the slot, which he was forced into after Tyler Johnson left the team. Bayman was one of the best outside receivers in, the, in college football in 2019. Last year he gets pigeonholed into this role that he wasn't comfortable with on short notice, you know, basically with the truncated offseason, et cetera. Um, and then Minnesota had all these other issues on offense. But Bayman acquitted himself fine. It's just that he wasn't in his, you know, his, his most ideal position, which is as an ex-receiver on the outside. Because what he's best at, it's his route running and his play strength. Is, is how he, he always has separation. Um, and then his ball skills are awesome, right? And so, like, for me, he's a very polished guy who's immediately going to come in and be a starting outside receiver. And I think he has very, very high, um, a very, very high ceiling. Like, you, you saw it in 2019 when, when, when he was just a young kid, a, a true sophomore. Um, again, like, statistically, by any measure, uh, one of the nation's best outside receivers, he's going to drop to a team um, that, that badly needs him. I, I think, like, you know, whether it's Baltimore, and I think he would be a great fit with Lamar Jackson, certainly a much better fit than Hollywood Brown. You know, a, a guy with a very small catch radius that, that you're, you're pairing with a guy who, you know, one of the great scramblers, of course, in, in NFL history and has a very good arm, but sort of similar to Trey Lance in this class. The, the one issue, of course, with, with uh, Jackson, it's just about placement and, and accuracy. You know, and of course, in his case, it, it wasn't disqualifying at all. Uh, but, you know, in, in matching with Lamar Jackson's game, I want a guy with a bigger catch radius um, that, you know, can use his frame at the catch point, you know, if, if, if he needs to go and get balls outside of his frame, et cetera, and that is always open in the intermediate area. And that, that's Rashad Bateman. He's going to catch all the balls downfield. You know, he, he turns 50-50 balls more into like 80-20 balls. And then, you know, downfield. And then in the intermediate area, like I said, just always open because of his footwork. Like he's one of those guys, if you watch him, like – if you watch the defensive backs, he, he's the guy that always gets them their feet crossed up or he gets them. Um, my favorite thing watching his film was when he would uh, clown a guy so bad that they would actually have to do a pirouette to, to catch back up to him to, to gain them their momentum. So, it's like, he can get defensive backs doing all kinds of crazy keystone top things falling over themselves just because of his footwork. I, I think Bateman goes to a team, uh, you know, a veteran team like you mentioned that, that um, you know, doesn't have as many needs, but maybe one of their big needs is, is, is for a potential true number one receiver. And I think he helps that team immediately and is a, is a long-term uh, impact player. Well, it'll be intriguing to watch this play out. Thor, thanks for coming on and giving us a few minutes this morning. We appreciate it. Gentlemen, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Lead college football writer and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge, there's Thor Nystrom talking NFL draft. We'll get you up to speed next on everything you missed in this show. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. North Texas softball pitcher Hope Trawine. She threw, well, a perfect game would be nobody gets on base, right? What's a perfect game if you strike out everybody? 21 consecutive strikeouts. And she didn't get to three balls once. Yeah, but did she suffer any foul balls? <laughs> 21 consecutive <laughs> now, strikeouts. Now, she didn't on. get to three balls hold once. On. Look, I'm just saying, maybe she struck everybody out, but if batters were fouling the ball off left and right, then they were this close. What? I'm just beside myself right now. I don't know what to do. Just kidding. That's a a terrific accomplishment. Were there any foul balls? (laughs) Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. 
Durant in a post-up. Draws a double out to Chioza. Pump fake, moves it left, finds Durant, a deep three, and hits. George, crossover on Sabonis in the lane, put it up, put it in with a left hand. PG-13 with 30 points, and we're not even through this third quarter with 4.50 to play. McCullum reaching for the ball, four on a shot clock. It's got to be Tatum. Stepping to his right, tough three. Got it! (laughs) A dagger from Jason Tatum! Do you have any thoughts about him are you an a-rod fan at all growing up or anything like that what do you think about what he might bring to the team a fan what do you mean like who is he the baseball player alex rodriguez yeah no nah, i i don't know okay i know he's gonna be the owner but i don't i don't i don't know nothing about baseball a-rod who are you that's anthony edwards minnesota timberwolves he doesn't know nothing about baseball ooh, 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 ooh. i really want to know <laughs> he looked like he didn't care. Whatever. He's going to be the owner. Yeah. Uh, he's 19 years old. Doesn't turn 20, I think, until the summer. Grew up in Atlanta. Uh, it's an issue, man. It's an issue. I think that's a, it's a greater issue. I'm, I would suspect somebody will write a story on why we have such a paltry amount of African-Americans playing baseball. Last number I saw is about 8% of Major League rosters were African-Americans. That's yeah, way that's down. D- way down. Way down from where it was through the 60s, 70s, and that's 80s. A shame. I mean, there's no question in that in that community that baseball has taken a major hit, and a lot of it is financial too, because of uh, the the comp teams and all that stuff. I mean, starts at an early age. When I was going to ASU, I mean, there was several stud African Americans who went on and played in the major leagues, and and they were my classmates. And now you look at these college teams, and they're virtually all white, practically. Uh, it's it's an issue. It's a sad issue for those of us who love baseball. So I, I suspect somebody's going to take that comment and run with it rather than, oh, just a young kid who doesn't know what an old-timer, who an old-timer is. I think it runs a little deeper than that, and somebody somewhere is going to pick up on it. If, you, uh, if you're uh, into this issue and want to read more, Sports Illustrated, I think, did the definitive piece on it probably about 15 years ago, and you can... Sure, a Google search will yield it in the archives out there somewhere. It lives somewhere in some corner of the uh, World Wide Web. Uh, but it was great. They, they came up with like, I don't know, it was about a dozen different issues that have just really changed everything. Just over two generations, so much has changed. Uh, basketball, we talked a lot about the Jazz this morning. Uh, there was very little drama as they beat the Thunder, and the Thunder got off to a 17-point lead, and yet the roster was so decimated, and one guy was doing so much of the damage, and it's hard for one guy to carry a team for 48 minutes. And Lou Dort's a really good player, and great job by Oklahoma City to find him and help him develop, and credit to him and all that. But how can he carry that group for 48 minutes? Sure enough, the Jazz went on an 8-0 run, and led in the second quarter and blew the game open in the third quarter. It was like that never happened, PK. It just, that just vanished into thin air. Well, I'm glad from the Jazz perspective that it did happen because the younger dudes, and Brantley being one of them, uh, get some meaningful minutes as opposed to just garbage minutes where you come in and do your thing. Get minutes where we need you to produce. It's not just we're playing out the clock and so nobody's really caring and the crowd's not paying attention or any of that stuff. So from that perspective, it's probably the best situation is that you can get some some dudes out there to play. Thomas, Tom boy, Thomas is not shy about jacking it up, that's for sure. <laughs> reminded me, uh, watching him play, reminded me that time when the Suns signed Jimmer and I don't know if it was no. his first game. Or yeah, what. and he came to Utah and 
<laughs> the shots started going up. <laughs> oh for six, oh for seven, oh for eight. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> and it sort of reminded me of watching him. I think he was two for ten. Uh, so have confidence in your shot. And I guess they must have told him, hey, Clarkson's out, so we need you to be Clarkson without dribbling for 22 seconds because uh, he fired it up. And Brantley obviously played well, which is good because you look at that. Jazz had three second-round picks uh, in the draft before last, and Lou Dort was available on each one of them, and they didn't take him. And nobody took him for that matter. So if you're going to crack on the Jazz, you got to crack on everybody else too. He just sat there. Came out as a freshman. Uh, never heard of him until Scotty was broadcasting a Utah State ASU game down in Vegas, and he texted me about this kid. And I mean, I'm not following high school kids out of Canada hardly at all. I don't pay a lot of attention to Sun Devil basketball. They haven't been worthy of my attention. And he said, "Hey, you got to watch this kid. He does have the body." And as Matt Harpering was talking about, how has he improved the form on his shot? And so good for him. That's a nice story. But it was nice to see some other guys get some meaningful minutes. And Jordan Yang stepping in the starting role. Now, it's not a playoff caliber team by any stretch. But when he's open and he's got an opportunity behind that line, that can be a huge addition for you. I think for a lot of people who, uh, you know, play junior jazz and play high school basketball, you know, the coach tells you, uh, you know, not to shoot. You're not the guy. They're trying to get shots for other guys. But Quinn Snyder's told these guys, and I think it's why we see some of these guys come in and just let it fly. He's like, we only have 24 seconds. If we have a good shot, and he actually was just hammering this point again this week in one of his availabilities. If we pass up a good shot, we're not like. Sometimes we get better ones, but we're not likely to. So you got to let it fly. And I think it was Mieoni passed up a corner three. Uh, at the end of the first quarter last night, and they still had 19 or 20 seconds on the shot clock, and they ended up getting a shot clock violation. And so there really is, Quinn has is, is made it clear over and over, I'm not really judging on if it goes in. If it's open, you got to shoot it without hesitation in rhythm. Uh, yeah, I disagree. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I think these guys hear it, and I think it's why we see what we see. And it does, when, when guys are cold, it does lead to, you know, slumps in the game and dry stretches in the game. And we've yeah. seen all kinds of guys pass up shots, and there was one uh, in the game they lost uh, recently um, Monday. Bogey had a three he should have taken and passed it up. And Well, he was going to pass it up, and they thought, no, I really should take it. But even that delay, he missed it. He said afterwards, yeah, he says, I should have just caught it and shot it. I, I wrecked my own Fine. rhythm. But aren't we to the point of Oni – that uh, it's the same thing we felt when Favors jacked it up from three? It's not happening. I know I am. I know, and everybody wants a cheerlead, but that's the way I feel when he's there (laughs) and he's open. If I'm the defense, have at it, son. Fire (laughs) up as many as you want. And maybe he's just a young kid, so there's certainly opportunities for him to get better. Well, it's, it's been a little thin out there. There's no way around that. Two for 11, I think, last three games. So Yeah. All right, so we also talked about the rest of the West. The Suns just keep getting it done. They were back-to-back. It was at home, and they were down early to the heat, but they won by 20. Uh, I think a lot of people were impressed with DeAndre Ayton, double-double, 19 points, 13 boards, but you think the growth of the Suns bench is an underreported story. Well, when I looked at their box score, the thing that jumped out at me is that they had four guys in double figures. Off the bench. Mm-hmm. And one uh, Carter had nine. So that's nice. And 
because you know outside of uh, Paul is a star for sure, but he's not necessarily a scoring star. Booker's a scoring star. Aiton, uh, he can score, but they they don't run very much for him. So he's got to get it off boards and whatnot and dunks and that type of thing. So you know they've got if they can get some other guys that can score for you, that's got to help. I don't think they have as much proven scoring power as the Jazz. But if they're getting guys, guys they picked up a Torrey Craig, with a nice addition for them, mm-hmm. and, and Cam Johnson as a, a shooter out of Carolina. So you expect him, he comes off the bench. Uh, so, yeah, I think that if you're looking for the Suns, now none of those guys, have they have zero. Craig has some, but the rest of the guys, they don't think of much playoff experience. So that's going to be the big question for them. But uh, who's who's to say that they couldn't surprise in a crazy year in which we have hard times predicting stuff? Yeah, I'm not going to rule them out. I mean, I certainly don't expect them to dominate, and I'm not sure that I expect them to advance beyond the first round because I think for them, if they if they get to the playoffs, that's a success, and obviously they're going to get there. But if they won a playoff series, which is something they haven't done for so long, you might be able to consider that a success. Now, maybe you can if you just lose in the second round, given the number of wins that they've had in the in the regular season. But still, I, I don't think that there's anybody on that team who was making the statement, hey, blank this, we're not losing in the first round anymore. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't think anybody said that last year or going into this season because nope. they haven't even been there. Donovan Mitchell said it, though. Two right. Back-to-back first-round losses, and uh, you could you could hear the frustration when in that quote. Yes. Uh, the rest of the teams in the West that uh, the matter that are jockeying for playoff position, the Lakers won. They beat the Hornets 101-93. The Blazers lost to the Celtics 116-115. So if you're wondering if the Lakers are going to drop to the sixth spot, well, they are now two and a half games in front of the Blazers, and they finished a seven-game road trip 4-3. and three. And I know you weren't impressed with the win over the Hornets because the Hornets are missing, you know, they're, well, I think, Ball and uh, Hayward. Yeah, Ball and Hayward, they're two best players. But... The Lakers' ability to stay afloat on this road trip and not let it turn into some kind of one and six disaster—you got to give okay. them some credit I'll for give that. Credit, sure, yeah, yeah, four, yeah. I don't have any problem doing that. They're the team to beat. I don't have any problem saying that. The dudes are healthy. They're the team to beat. Everybody agrees with that. It's not shocking news. So yeah, I understand all that. Timmy Allen is transferring from Utah to Texas, and he's going to play for the Longhorns and new head coach Chris Beard. And for the Utah team that had problems scoring last year, where the point's going to come from, we're going to have to watch with over 1,000 guys in the transfer portal. Um, Craig well, I can't Smith, take all of them. Craig Smith said over 1,200. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think Scotty said the other day it was getting close to 1,300. I mean, guys are still going in and out. So uh, what's the roster going to look like? It seems like it's impossible to know. It's college basketball is just going to be a year by year deal, isn't it? You know, building something and oh wow, wow that that seems like so five years ago. Uh, not for everybody, but I do think for everybody to an extent. Well, even if it's not for your complete, team, the complete, rest of your conference, though, you know, your complete roster build might be for some teams. Because now, I remember when Majerus was there, and you'd have three guys leave, and I was like, oh, my gosh, every year, That's three average. guys. Well, now you got three guys. It's like, wow, we had a good off season. Huh. <laughs> well, especially if it's the guys who aren't playing. you know. And yeah, but that's not through. just – that's – okay, for some some teams here, mm-hmm. they're like Allen. 
I mean, and I, and I understand his circumstances. He wants to get to the postseason, and it doesn't look like you're going to get there next year at Utah as good as Craig Smith did a job at Utah State, and he's certainly qualified to be the coach of Utah. I have no doubt about that. But if I'm a senior, uh, go ahead and do it if I want to get into the tournament. I mean, the Gonzaga's had a couple of guys like that. They had a kid for, I think it was their leading scorer for SC a few years back. Well, SC, when Enfield was building it, wasn't in the position to go to the tournament, so he took off went to Gonzaga. Sure enough, they go. So, I mean, every kid wants to do that. Even if you're just there for one season, you still want to do it rather than not do it. But I think as far as rosters now, we really have to wait to July and August before we make any level of any evaluation on any of these teams because things happen. They've been happening daily now, but still they can continue to happen for the next several weeks. And even if you think you know what your team is going to look like, you don't know what the other elite teams in your conference are going to look like. There's just going to be too much change. So, well, you th- well, so what you're saying is, well, I see what you're doing. You're setting the expectations low in case Santa Barbara doesn't repeat. I see what you're doing. I fear you, Sierra Vine. Don't kid yourself. Thought the that, Anteaters? Yeah, I thought that coach was going to get a job, but he seems to just stay there. <laughs> you're killing me, dude. Get a job. Get out of here. Why wouldn't you? Because you're going to make more money. I mean, if, if you don't, if not, I mean, Irvine, he's got it going, and it's a good place to live and whatever, That's and what I don't saying. know what well, he's got ties to the area, and maybe that makes him more What is more attractive. money? Double or triple. <laughs> I mean, the, oh. big, the Big West isn't paying the way some of these other leagues are paying. But and if he's, you're making good enough money, it's like oh, Joe Ingles. Yeah. Joe Ingles didn't put himself, now we're talking about outrageous money, but he didn't put himself out there because he had enough. Now, that's an individual decision, and I can't criticize. When it comes to money, man, I, I just don't criticize anybody. Hey, if, he's, if you're at UC Irvine and I don't know what they're paying and I don't know what he can right. make off the court right. in addition to that, but if he's making three or four or $500,000, he's living in Southern California, he's like, oh, why do I want to go somewhere else and you know make more money in the short run, but then I get fired because it's a harder job. He's like, I can win here. I can win here in the long run. And that's what he's doing. He's coming up on a decade of it. Yeah, good. Wouldn't mind if he left, though. Be okay with me. All right, anything else we touched on this morning you want to hit on? We had a little NFL talk, a little draft talk. The NFL seems to be going out of both sides of their mouth a little bit here. Nobody's going to be required to be vaccinated as a condition of employment. But then they sent out a memo, which has now been leaked, that they expect the key members of the football operations staff to receive a COVID-19 vaccine unless they have a bona fide medical or religious reason not to. Well, which is it, guys? Publicly, it's one thing, and privately, it's another. What would be religious reasons? Uh, I don't know, but I think I've read stories about uh, some faiths, and they don't believe in blood transfusions and stuff like that, so I don't know. I'm not enough this of a religious co- scholar to speak on this. but Well, it's true, but you know your faith, and you know it very, very well. And I got vaccinated. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Me either. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. When we come back, your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. My greatest prediction is this. The Jazz are going to disappoint us once again, just like they always do year after year. Baseball needs to change a lot of rules to make it more exciting, to modernize it. People want action and speed. It's like watching paint dry. Baseball needs to step up its game, and the athletes will come. 
<laughs> DJ PK, it is time for your feedback. Maybe a little bit of truth in that last one, PK, but it's way more complicated than that. If you don't like baseball, you don't understand the nuances of the sport. <laughs> Wait a minute. Where have I heard that before? I can't quite place it. I'm sure I have, though. <laughs> and you don't like it because it's so freaking hard to do. It's the hardest thing to do in sports. I've definitely heard that before, too. Uh, we got a lot of feedback coming in on the Jazz. Uh, they won last night. They beat Oklahoma City. How good a win was that? How concerned are you? Are you ready just to fast forward to the playoffs? Theron says, down three starters. I'd say it was pretty impressive. Well, they weren't down three starters. They were down one starter. They were down three of their top seven, but Clarkson and Ingles are coming off the bench. I get your point, though. There's a lot of talent sitting over there on the bench, and they, they did get the win. But, yeah, but they're so freaking good. You have two other guys who would start for any team in the league. Yep. Yeah, I think Oklahoma City would have taken Gobert and Donovan. That would have helped them a little bit. <laughs> well, I meant the three, two of the three that aren't starters on the Oh, page. I see what you're saying. Yeah, Clarkson and uh, Ingles would start uh, for a lot Clarkson, of teams. Clarkson, I'm pretty sure Ingles would start over Anthony Davis. Going out on a limb, huh? Taking him down. Not that Anthony Davis. It's kind of a common name. Adam says he's concerned for sure. Well, they're not a slam dunk to win the NBA title, so if you've got concern, I would think you're not alone. Yeah, but I guess it's to what level? To go back to that... Uh, they're going to the, disappoint uh, us again. Yeah. what? It, it's like you asked me on Friday morning, mm-hmm. you, you know, you think Justin Rose will hold the Masters lead. So essentially you were asking me, are you going to take Justin Rose or are you going to take the field? Uh, on the Friday of the Masters, you'll take the field. Thirty-six. Yeah, holes just is about too every crazy. time, yeah. right? Just, I mean, it's the odds are overwhelming that somebody else outside of Justin Rose is going to win, and, and obviously it happened. So, are you going to take the Jazz or are you going to take the field? I'd say just about nine times out of ten, ninety-nine out of a hundred, I'm going to take the field. Now, the field, of course, in the NBA is a relatively small number, uh, but still. It's hard to win the NBA title unless you absolutely have the best player in the league, and Jazz don't have that. It's it's very difficult to do. But does that mean they're going to disappoint? Is we are are we at the status now of the Jazz? It's win it all or bust. I can't say that. I think a lot of people are putting a lot of stock into being the one seed, and to me that makes sure. you a contender. But yes. you just, and you and I have been beating this drum for a while now, you just can't look past the Lakers if they're healthy. They're too good. they got too much talent. Their record doesn't reflect it right now, but their top two players haven't been playing. So you got to set that aside. And keep an eye on Caruso, man. He's starting to come back. It's not hard to notice for obvious reasons when he's out on the floor. He's hitting shots. He's handling the ball a little bit. Is that just he has a bigger role? What's Caruso's first name? I don't even know. Alex, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah. It's Alex. Alex Caruso? You're so focused on the headband, you can't remember his name. (laughs) There you go. He's the... uh, He was balding, so he just shaved it down. The Caucasian version of Slick Watts. (laughs) He just took it right down. Yeah. All right, here's the other thing that has taken over uh, Twitter. 
uh, website, uh, travel website, yougov.com uh, slash topic slash travel. U.S. states ranked according to Americans. They did these a series of head-to-head matchups, and yeah. this will shock you, but the number one travel destination in the U.S. is Hawaii. What? Alabama, Mississippi 49, Alabama 50. Hawaii and Colorado 1-2. Surf and snow. There you go. Colorado? Yep. Utah came in 27, right in the middle of it. Skiing here is a thousand times better. You don't got to travel. You don't have to fly into uh, West Kansas and (laughs) drive to East Colorado or the other way around, East Kansas. No, West Kansas. Don't, don't, we got it, we got it, we got it. Don't worry about it. Come on. (laughs) Here you get into town, boom, you have somebody pick you up or you get a rent a car. You're there. You could fly in that day and be on the slopes by 10 o'clock. Get out of town. That's ridiculous. I hate Colorado. Wyoming came in 22 and Utah came in 27. And Brian Schott, who used to be a sports talk radio producer and has gone on to multiple other jobs since then. Yeah. Yeah. He says, how in the hell is Utah behind Wyoming? And I tweeted at him in a break. Western Wyoming. That's what I said. They're thinking Jackson Hole. You're thinking Laramie. And then immediately someone from Laramie is in there. Laramie is nearly half the size of Logan, but it has three breweries, two independent bookstores, and a really nice walkable downtown. That could also be what they're thinking. On those four days that the weather's good enough now. I mean, it's just it's a tough place with the weather, obviously. The wind blows. Yeah, the people that, I've, that I met there from the University of Wyoming were just top of the line, and they treated you like uh, you were literally the most important guest they had in your community. For sure, I love the people of uh, Wyoming. Even some of the you know, some of the fans can get outrageous, but that was a small number. Uh, but the, the the community at the University of Wyoming, top of the line, I will say that. Uh, but yeah, when you get on the western part, and you get into Jackson, and obviously Yellowstone, and the and Star Valley, and the Snake River. Wow, that that is about as scenic as it can get, and, and not involving an ocean. Sundown over the Tetons is a good thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's a. My wife's friend has a condo, a timeshare up there, and she has invited us for many times over the years, as you know. Well, uh, last, uh, I think it was uh, November, I went down to St. George for a weekend, and my wife had a broken leg, so she couldn't play golf. But So I went out by myself, and we played this one course, and it's very expensive. Uh, and a Jackson Racket Club and golf or something. But anyway, I got paired up with the pro there. So really? I'm hoping, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He wanted, he just wanted to get away and play some golf, right? So he came down and we were playing Sand Hollow. And uh, so, man, I was sucking up to that guy big time. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you had a joke, ah, you're so funny. <laughs> Can yeah. I have some free golf? <laughs> I intend to, or at least give me the uh, twilight rate. Uh, yeah, discount's good. Discount of golf's good. Yeah, because it after Father's Day, man, it just goes up. Because you have you talk about the Tetons, it has the Tetons in view right there. It's really spectacular. Uh, so yeah, so I'm gonna try to uh, do my best to sweet talk him, and hopefully he remembered me and. And maybe we can get some some reduction in rates or something. And freeze even better than reduction in rates. All right, DJ and PK, we are about out of time here. You can uh, check that out. I will retweet that, and you can uh, you can take a look at that if you want and see where your favorite states rank and 
where <laughs> where you want to go. Where's Jersey? Uh, let me uh, see. Where is Jersey in this? That is a good question. How does the Jersey Shore rank? Uh, 48. Oh, man. Behind Arkansas. Come on now. Arkansas. Arkansas 47, Jersey 48, Mississippi 49, Alabama 50. See, the thing is, if you've gone to Jersey and haven't got to the Jersey Shore, then you just totally discount it. And you should. Jersey's a lovely, lovely place. You get away from Jersey City and you get out a little bit. And it's very nice in the suburbs and you're only a half hour away from New York City. I was surprised to find out that central Jersey, which I have never been to, but the central part of the state is like wooded and outdoorsy. And when the Jets were recruiting Brett Favre, that's when I read about it, and they they took him hunting down there. Oh, yeah. And I thought Jersey was just a really urban state, you know, with New York spilling into part of it and Philly. Well, I I get that, and I don't know. I've never been there, so I was just guessing, but that's what I had in my mind. That's what people think, but they don't know. You get out a little bit, like where I grew up. Uh, 30 minutes away from 30 miles away from Manhattan and it was it was considered a vacation community for people who had money from New York City they bought vacation homes mm. in the town in which I lived Hawaii Colorado Virginia Nevada North Carolina the top 5 Florida came in 6 with all the theme parks and all the beaches huh 6 a little surprising all right DJ PK we're out of time Hanson Scotty are coming up next we'll see you